Hello to everybody who loves a good upgrade. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous, a show where we're trying to cut through all the noise and static in this insane world so we can actually get to know humanity one person at a time. That's a tall order, but we try to do it around here. Do just want to say really, really quickly, if you're in New York City and you're looking for something to do on New Year's Eve, I am hosting a show at Littlefield uh, in Brooklyn, one of the great venues for comedy these days. It's out in Gowanus. And it's from 7 to 9 p.m. So I'm designing this show so that if you uh, if you want to do something fun before you start partying, I got you covered. And also, if you are someone like me, a new parent or a perpetually exhausted human, and you want to go out and do something and then go home, it's over by 9 o'clock. So you can get your tickets at chrisgeth.com. That New Year's show, it's going to be really fun. I've got some great comics lined up. Back to this episode. The call you're about to hear... We could have spent an hour talking about this person's current profession, could have spent an hour easily talking about this person's past profession. When you hear about a person's family life, there's some real struggles there. Did my best to balance all of them. I found myself wildly fascinated by all of this, let alone the fact that one person dealt with it all and is dealing with it all. And also at such a young age, I wish I had said this, at such a young age, such a good head on her shoulders. Just want to say buckle up and uh, make sure your seat is in the upright position. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Uh, hello? Hi, how are you? Oh my God, is this real? I think so, unless we're all living in what? a simulation, you know? If, who knows if anything's real. <laughs> well, that could that can be the case. Oh, my God, my heart's beating, like, really fast. Oh, no need. I'm, I did. <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm how are wildly you? average. Oh, how am I? Uh, I'm, I'm telling, okay, I'm, ti- I'm tired. People are tired of hearing me say that, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I'm good overall. I'm good overall. Fighting off the uh, seasonal depression stuff, doing a good job of that. Enjoying life oh, with course. the little boy, of loving course. my wife, traveling a good. bit too much. I've been booking some work in Los Angeles, so I'm getting flown back and forth, which is very cool, and I have an easy life. Oh, that's cool. I, it's uh, probably war- warmer there. You're in New York, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm ready yeah. to not be yeah. on planes anymore. I know that that's a very privileged thing to complain about. Yeah. Yeah, I well, I guess that's true. I so I I also live in New York. I live in Brooklyn. Um, oh, nice. And it's pretty. It's yeah. It's it's pretty dreary out there today. Yeah, it's um, rainy. But I it's guess I could say I'm in a similar privileged position to you. I'm a flight attendant, so what? I live in New York, but I'm not here all the time. Yeah. Oh, I got questions for you. <laughs> I hope you do. I hope you do. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, I haven't, it's been really slow lately, which is surprising, but I'm hoping it'll pick back up, you know, with holiday traveling and stuff. Wait, are you not on just um, regular routes? Isn't that how that works? No, well, okay, so I'm I'm pretty new. I've been flying since, I had my flight attendant graduation ceremony um, in April. So, I've been here, well, what is that, eight months? So I've been, I've been doing this for eight months. Um so I'm on I'm on reserve. <laughs> okay. I'm on reserve. So I'm basically a substitute flight attendant. So Sub- when someone else calls out sick, I get to go to my job. And is that why you're in New York? Because we've got JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. So that there's those are three massive airports. Correct. So I would imagine those are three. Correct. You want to be right in the middle so you can pick up the gigs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well. So. Um, a lot of what a lot of flight attendants and pilots do is they a lot of people actually don't live in the city that they're based in. You know, they'll commute in because we just hop on a plane. But I said, you know what? I you you only live once and you're only young once. So why not move to New York City? Nice. So I moved here in April um, from Chicago. 
That's cool. Chicago, and, uh, another hub. The another major another hub. hub i know i know everyone everyone when anybody that i work with finds out i'm from chicago they say oh are you trying to get back there because the airline that i work for we have a, a hub in chicago as well but i'm like no i well maybe eventually but you you could when else are you well i guess you live in new york but you know <laughs> um i mean when else am i gonna live in new york i don't know that's so, cool i mean i've just i've been having fun yeah it's worth it um brooklyn is for all the hype and the buzz and the hubbub, at the end of the day, it is still a magical place on its best days. It's such a magical place. Oh, my God. I love it. I really do. I love it. I just, oh, my God. Yeah. It gives me chills. The skyline gives me chills. I will say, like, probably one of the best sights that I've seen, that I ever will see in my life. Um, we, when we're flying in, obviously, there's, you know, a bunch of different runways at LaGuardia specifically. I would say LaGuardia is the airport that I fly out of most often. And it's, it's the easiest one to get to from where I live. Um, Me so too. I one bus stop, one. one bus stop and I'm at LaGuardia. Yeah. Well, it's a subway and then a bus, but yeah. Yeah. I'm in Queens though. I'm um, in Queens. So I just jump on the bus and I'm right there. Oh, you're in Queens. You just jump on the bus. Oh, I love oh, I flying out. Exactly which bus you jump on. Now, I I'm not going to ask yeah. you what airline you're at, and I don't think it's actually smart for you to reveal it, so let's not, but I will say... Yeah, no, 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 I won't. I won't. Yes, I will say that LaGuardia can be a bit of a mess, except I fly primarily Delta, and they have their own terminal there. Uh-huh. Quite quite nice. They do have their own terminal there, yes. Quite nice. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I work for, I mean, one of the one of the major airlines yeah, in, yeah. in the U.S. Okay. Um. But, you were yeah, saying, um, so you mostly fly out of LaGuardia. I know. Yeah, I mostly fly out of LaGuardia. Oh, okay. I mostly fly out of and into LaGuardia. Um, and there's different, obviously different runways that you can fly in and out of and different routes you can take when you're approaching New York to land into the airport. Um, and there's this one route, I guess, that they take sometimes to land into LaGuardia. And when you fly it at night, you well, I mean, you live in New York, so you might have experienced this. But you're flying into New York, and you're flying like right over the city, like it's kind yeah. of eerie almost, like but over the Empire really, State Building. Really cool. Yes, like you yeah. feel like you could reach out and touch it, and you can see down into Times Square. Um, and oh my God, it. I mean, I mean, I've only been here eight months. It's not like I've been flying for years and years and years, but. I mean, I've seen it quite a few times now, and every time I just get full body chills. I love it. Yeah, I like so, it. I really like cool. it a lot. It's beautiful. It, it's funny. It's like, it's weird. I've always found that when it flies in that way, you look down at the island of Manhattan, and it almost looks like a board game set. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it looks totally. like you've set up a board game of Manhattan. But, you know, you know not to be macabre, not always the best mental feeling to be flying in a commercial mm-hmm. airliner right over the skyscrapers of New York. Also kind of yep. also kind yeah. of weird. Also kind of weird. A little yeah, a little eerie. Like it's it's a little yeah, no, totally. It is. It's weird, but oh my gosh, when you do it at night and you see all those those sparkling lights, it's magical. Welcome to New York. Yeah. And then you come yeah. in in Queens, you see the yeah. Unisphere, the old World's Fair globe. Yep. Yeah, I'm really not so familiar with Queens like yet, you know. But good food out there. I do. I mean, the airports are in Queens, so I I I go there mostly to go to the airports. But Fair. most of the time, I'm I'm over here in Brooklyn or or in Manhattan, you know. Living the life, living the young person's life. Living the life. I know it's true. So, do you want to know something? Yeah. Today is my 22nd birthday. Hey, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's my it's my 22nd birthday. Um, but it's kind of gross outside, but we mostly it's we mostly did all of the birthday celebrations over the weekend. So that was really fun. We went to um Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah. In Times Square. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we went to Olive Garden in Times Square. Because you like it or we, as like an ironic uh, an ironic hipster joke? Which one? Well, I wish it was an ironic hipster joke, but so my friend, one of my good friends, one of my best friends from Chicago, um, she flew in 
to hang out with me for my birthday, and we were on the subway home, and we just started talking about where should we eat. And somehow Olive Garden came up, and I said, mm-hmm. I know exactly where an Olive Garden is. Really? There's one in Times Square. Uh-huh. So, um... Now you live so in Brooklyn. That, and it was... You live yes. in Brooklyn, so you could have been like, we can go to DeFara's Pizza, where an 80-year-old <laughs> man who's been making pizza his whole life makes it by hand. I know. Right in front of you. I know, but... We can, we can go to Williamsburg. We can go to places where chefs from all over the world have moved to ply their trade. We can... You can go get Polish food, right? In Greenpoint from people who... Uh, yeah, we, yeah. We could go out to Bensonhurst and Bay Ridge for, for Italian food. Or we could go to fucking Times Square and push our way past the dirty Elmo's. <laughs> Need an Olive Garden, which is weirdly well, expensive, too. No, I feel kind of embarrassed. <laughs> no, I'm just ribbing ya. Come on. I know. No, I know. No, I know. But no, it was honestly, it was really good. Yeah, you get, really good. Get the unlimited breadsticks. Unlimited breadsticks. What more could you ask for for your birthday? A lot. It was a, it lot. Was a, it was a good time. <laughs> I, I would ask for a lot more of the breadsticks <laughs> on my birthday. That's me. Okay, can I ask you? I want to hear everything about your life. Yeah. I also have like a million yeah. questions about the flight attendant lifestyle. Sure. Can I sure, get them totally. out of? Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you've only been doing it eight months. You said, or you lived in New York eight months, but I won't. So yeah, you you but, don't have all but, the answers. So I'm I sure. so I no, I definitely don't have all the answers. But yeah, so I um I was living I while well, I lived in Chicago, I I was living with my mom. Um, I applied to be a flight attendant as soon as I could. Um, you for the airline that I work for, you have to be I think twenty. So I think I applied right when I turned twenty. And it was a really, really, really long process. It was just kind of a weird time in the airline. And, like, they didn't have any more training classes until a few, quite a few months out. So I had to wait a while. But um, I finally went to training when I was newly 21. I went in February. It was six weeks of training. I found out probably halfway through those six weeks that I was going to be based in New York City. We had two choices. They said you can be based in New York City or you can be based in Washington, D.C., Um, obviously we have hubs everywhere, but those are the only two that were accepting more flight attendants into their hubs at that time. Um, and so I kind of said, well, we'll just try New York, you know, Mm -hmm. I love Taylor Swift. So I was like, I, yeah, I love Taylor Swift. So I was like, well, we can have that be the theme song to my life. Uh Now I'm very old. Um, I'm turning 40. What the, obviously I know who Taylor Swift is. Does she have a song about New York? Oh my God, Chris! I'm old. Yes. I'm an old white guy. How does it go? You, I'll know it if you, you remind me how it goes. Remind me how it goes. Yeah. Okay. I don't know every song about. Do you know how many Welcome songs there are about to New York? New York. It's it been waiting for you. Welcome to New York. No. I've literally never heard that. Jared's nodding his head. Yes, that he has. I have literally never heard that song. <laughs> so I just listened to my old oh my pop God. punk from the '90s and stuff like that. Okay. Well. I mean, that's really, that's awesome, but Taylor Swift is really good, dude. You're 22. She's really good. I'm listening to music that you, (laughs) that came out when you were like two or three years old. That was underground back then. Okay. I know. Now, okay, so you you get the gig. So you've always wanted to fly. Sounds like. Not always. Um, Well, okay. So I, um, I had, I guess like a different sort of way that I went through like high school and stuff. So um, when I was 11 years old, I was scouted, as they say, to become a model. Ooh. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that started when I was 11 and I started modeling in Chicago for, a, you know, department stores and catalog things and stuff like that. And um, that was my dream. And so when I, I went through high school and I did a mixture of like, sometimes I would be in regular school and then sometimes I would withdraw and do online school because I was traveling. Um, I did, I spent actually some time in New York when I was 16, I lived here for a month or two, um, seeing agencies and stuff. And then I did the whole fashion week thing and I went to Milan and Paris and I, 
lived in Paris for about three months when I was 16, yeah. So this is is not like you're a kid and they put you on like a local car ad. This went far. You took it to Milan and you did Fashion Week stuff? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I did. I did. It was it was cool. It was a really, really cool experience, but I was 16. I was so young. I mean, I'm still young. I'm 22 today. But yeah, um, I did all that when I was 16 and that was my dream. And I wanted to do everything and I wanted to be a Victoria's Secret model and uh-huh. do all of the things, of course, because wow. you're 16 and that's what you want to do. What do they call them? Angels? Um, but yeah, the angels, but they actually, they canceled the Victoria's Secret fashion. I don't know if you heard, they're not doing it anymore because of, because of reasons that I think are completely fair. Um, looking at it from an outside perspective, I think that, well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I know nothing. It's probably the better thing, but. This is as foreign to me as a Taylor Swift reference. <laughs> well, yeah. So anyway, I did that when I was young and then, um, I, I had some issues from it as many, many, many people do. Yeah, um, I feel like these flight attendant questions are far less important now. (laughs) Well, I want to get to that too. We'll come back to those. We'll come back to those. Mostly I just want to know how I can get more points because I fly so much and obsessed, obsessed with points. Do you meet people a lot (laughs) who are obsessed with points? Not points so much. I have people reach out to me asking for buddy passes a lot. Buddy pass. Oh, um, right, 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 because you can get those. Buddy passes. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I can't get free buddy passes. I can get discounted standby tickets. Yes. Um, I am about to make but, gold you know. status for the year, and thank God, because I was about to have to downgrade from Congratulations. gold. I was about to downgrade from gold to silver, back to being a silver dirt <laughs> person. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. But when, you, you do fly a lot. Uh, yeah. Now, when you meet one of these platinum or diamond people, though, these these people get yeah, special I know, treatment, I right? Know. They get the special oh, we treatment. Have, yeah. I mean, we have people, um, I won't say like the name of, you know, the program or whatever that it's called, but they have to be invited in. These secret programs. Status. Yes. You now, have to be invited in. You have to be invited and if you do that, you know, we're supposed to dress in my name. And they have their own entrance. Them and thank them let me t- for being in our presence. Let me tell you about this because I've read up on this. It's my okay. dream. It's my dream. My understanding okay. is a lot of these are people who are like corporate flyers who fly first class international a lot and who also have the ability to say, I'm coordinating a whole team that's traveling. And, mm-hmm. and, and so they bring a lot of money to the airlines. They get invited. These people, these programs. I started noticing, I used to fly United all the time. And they'd say, you know, uh, let's yeah. get, if you have kids, if you, uniform military, global services, and then for da, da, da. And yeah. I was like, what's global services? I Google it. You get invited. They'll pick you up at your house. If you have a layover, yeah. they'll do yeah. your laundry for you at the airport. If there, I read a story uh-huh. once about a plane that landed and a person had a connecting flight and they had a car pull onto the runway and pick them up and drive them to the next plane so they wouldn't have to walk in the terminal. Oh, well, do you want to hear something even crazier than that? So yeah. they have this new thing and I know it's in New York and it might be other places as well. They will pick you up in a helicopter. What? And they'll fly you to the runway, to the tarmac and basically and i don't even know the logistics of that because you have to go through security at some point so where do they drop you you still have to go through security and whatever but they will fly you in a helicopter from new york city to the airport so if you're like if you're living in like a mansion up in connecticut or jersey and you're a big baller Uh they send the helicopter come get you yep these exactly. how do I get in on this? These mother first of all, these one percent motherfuckers. <laughs> Sorry, Sally. Second of all, how do I get invited <laughs> to this? Okay. I don't even know. I don't even know. Anyway. Okay. Let's talk about the more important thing. Okay. So yeah. you you said that you're a model. This takes off quickly. Cause okay, because uh-huh. you get scouted when you're eleven. You're in Milan and yeah. Paris by the time you're sixteen. So this moved fast. Yep. 
Did your family have any background in this stuff or did it just upend everybody's life? No, no, not at all. Not at all. So, um, when I was really, really, really young, people would kind of stop my mom and be like, Oh, she's really cute. Like, you know, you should get her into modeling. So she tried when I was a kid, but I was just so like, so completely disgustingly shy that I just, it was awful and I wouldn't look at the camera and it was really bad. So she was like, okay, this is not for her. And she never tried to force me into anything. And so then when I was a little older, I was 11 and I was scouted at a Jonas Brothers concert. Um, I'm aware that they exist. People came up to us. (laughs) And um, this this woman from this agency approached us and she said, is this your daughter? Um, you know, she's really beautiful and whatever, and you guys should reach out to us. And so we looked at these people and we found that they had some, some legitimate people on their roster, I guess, you know, people that had done cool things in the modeling world. And, um, so we did some stuff with them and then they kind of got me hooked up with my agency in Chicago and that's when I did department store stuff. And then it was kind of always the goal. They're like, okay, you know, when you turn 16, you'll be old enough and we can fly you out to New York and you can meet with agencies there and then fashion week and da, 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 da. And that's what happened. And it was really, really cool. And, um, I did all that and I met really, really cool people and I met some cool designers and stuff like that. But It takes a toll on you quickly, quickly. I think that's as good a time as any to pause and remind you guys that very often modeling is done to promote products and services. And we do that around here as well. Got ads, check them out, use the promo codes. It really helps the show when you do. We'll be right back. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the ads and considering helping out the show by using those promo codes. Now, let's get back to this conversation. I met really, really cool people, and I met some cool designers and stuff like that, but it takes a toll on you quickly, quickly. Explain um, this to me. Explain this toll. Because first of all, being a 16-year-old kid in an industry where people, let's Mm -hmm. face facts, Models are sexualized. Yeah. Models are oh yeah, sexual images very often. Yeah. You're 16. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't seem like For a great sure. combination. Yeah. No. And so I will say, I mean, I never really experienced, like, I don't know. I never felt like I was being taken advantage of. And, like, I never really felt super sexualized. I, I don't know. I guess I never got really to that point. For me, it was more just a like the body image thing. And, you know, I, I did it when I was 16 and they, and they measure you and you have to stay within these model measurements and they put a tape measure around your waist and your hips and your bust. And you have to be within the inches that they want you to be within. And I will say, I do think now it's changing. I mean, that was, um, what that was, I was 16. So that was in like 2014 and already it's changing even more, but in 2014, and what I experienced was they would put a tape measure around you and you had to follow within these measurements. And if you didn't, they would be like, okay, go home, lose weight, come back when you've, when you're skinnier. And, um, and I experienced that actually, like I was 16 and I went to New York and I, I don't know if I was my, it was my hips. They were an inch or a half inch too big. And they said, we're going to send you home for like a week or two weeks or something. <clears throat> and when you come back, you need to have lost that half inch or whatever it was. And I did it. I did it. So I went home and I was eating so little and I was eating plain grilled chicken and plain egg whites and like carrots and cauliflower. And I was walking like six miles a day, but they didn't want you to run because running would build muscle and they didn't want muscle. They just wanted you to be really, really slim. Um, and so I was walking six miles a day and doing Pilates for an hour a day or two hours a day. Um, and I just had this total tunnel vision that I needed to be the size that I needed to be when I went back to New York and I did it and they went back and they were so proud of me and I was amazing. And, um, and yeah, and then they kind of threw me into fashion week and I was going to castings and 
everything. And then I went to Milan and then I went to Paris and then I ended up staying in Paris for two or three months just to shoot with different photographers and, and do that sort of stuff. But it was just crazy because I was 16 and I already was so small because when you're 16, you're just, you have a, I, I mean, at least me, I had like a kind of a child's body at that time. Um, and even that wasn't really small enough. So as I got a little bit older and I got turned 17 and 18 and it became a lot harder and I struggled to, I struggled with it for like a while. Cause that was my dream since I was 11 basically. And I learned that that could be a possibility for my future. But thankfully I, I eventually like figured out that it just wasn't going to be a healthy possibility. And I was able to let go of it but it took it took a lot to let go of that I mean I went through like you know years of therapy and body image struggles and that sort of thing so it was it was hard but thankfully I I got out of it and I found I guess I mean I think my favorite part of it was traveling so I found another way to do that and not have to conform to these insane standards that they set well, I'm glad you found your way out of it because... Thank you, me too. To hear that story, but to know that, you know, to know that you were 16 and you went through that, there's a lot of people who I think might fall into a track of chasing that their whole lives. And to hear that by the time you yeah. were 21, you'll go to a Times Square Olive Garden and eat the breadsticks is like, <laughs> I feel like probably a lot of people who... I know. A lot of people with your story probably never get back to that place where they can just let their guard no, down and enjoy a no. piece of bread. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it took me, um, it took me a long time. I mean, so that was, that happened when I was 16. And, um, when I came back after those three months in Paris, um, I kind of went, I don't know. I just, I had sort of a meltdown and I had these six months where I was like, I'm not going to model at all. And that was just too much. And then I gained I mean, I don't want to say a ton of weight, but for me it was. It was, I gained like 30 or 40 pounds. And then once I was, I mean, I don't know, I think, I don't even know what, how many pounds I weighed, probably like 115 when I was modeling, because I'm tall. I mean, models are tall. And 115 for somebody that's, I mean, I'm 5'10", that's really small. And then wow. I like gained all this weight and I was maybe like 140. And I felt, and like, at first I was okay, but then I, I, I don't know. I guess it kind of settled, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm huge. And I was not. I wasn't huge. But oh. you know, I felt like that at that time. 5'10", 140, yeah. I feel like and is probably – I don't – I would imagine yeah. doctors that's would probably still, say like, that's, like, still – you're still tiny. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. That's, like, completely normal. Like, completely normal, even, like, on, like, the slim side of normal. But, you know. Um, yeah, and then uh, – so I kind of went through this weird phase where I was like, oh, my God, and uh, just really, like, I guess, insecure and, like, self-confident stuff. Um, so then I did, like, the complete opposite, and then I was like, no, I got to get back. So I, like, lost it all again. And then I was, like, 115, 120 again. And this time I was, like, 17 or 18. So, you know, then you have, I guess, more of, like, somewhat of a more womanly body. And then you're back to like 120, which is just insane at 5'10". Um, and that's when I kind of just had more of like, I guess, eating disorder mentalities. And it was more of a, more of a problem. And so then I finally like talked to my mom and I got in therapy and um, I still was struggling with a lot. Like it took a long time. And then uh, when I was, 20. So I guess this is almost like two years ago now. <clears throat> my, I had a, a younger sister. She was 17 and she struggled with depression for a lot of her life. And she took her own life when she was 17. And, um, when that happened, it like completely changed how I saw like everything, I guess, about like myself and just the world and whatever. And after that, like, I never really had I mean, I'm not going to say I never had a, another insecurity, but, like, I just realized, like, wow, the things that I've been focusing on are so unimportant. And then that's when my dreams just kind of, like, I guess 
you know, changed and I was like newly 20. So I applied to be a flight attendant because I knew I still wanted to travel and uh, all this stuff. But I was like, no, I can't focus on things that are so stupid and unimportant anymore. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, everything surrounding that issue is stuff that's been very, uh, you know, it's affected my life and become very important to me and the stuff I've talked about. So that breaks my heart, and I'm sorry you had to go through it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was um, definitely, like, the hardest thing uh, that I've had to go through yet, but I will say, I mean, it, I mean, every, every darkest cloud has its silver linings, I guess. And I guess it, in some ways it did show me these, you know, things that were really important. Um, so I don't know. And I guess I have, I also have this like cheesy, the super cheesy image of my sister. Um, and I don't know where I stand on religion or that sort of thing or where she is now but I do hope that she's somewhere hopefully maybe and I kind of have this image of her um, getting to the other side of wherever the other side is you know and because she she really didn't know that I like had all of these struggles and kind of getting to the other side of that and and looking at me and being like wow okay no we're not going to we're not going to do that we're not going to deal with that and like her kind of being like nope we're going to fix these problems and, and you're not going to, you're not going to deal with that anymore. And that's going to be over. So that's kind of this like weird cheesy image that I have of her being helping me, I guess, or like fixing those problems. I don't think that's cheesy. I think that's a beautiful thing. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Huh. Thanks. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that was my, those are my modeling um, adventures. I mean, it was, I, I had a lot of cool experiences. Um, I have a funny story kind of, I, I think it must've been New York and, um, I went to this casting. Can I, I can say like a designer, right? That's okay. Yeah. I'm not, I don't need to protect some fancy designer. Okay. (laughs) So I went to this casting. Well, this isn't, I mean, I'm not talking anything bad about this designer. It's Tommy Hilfiger and I love Tommy Hilfiger. But I went to this casting for his show, and I was 16, and I was really, I guess, uneducated. Well, I thought I was educated about, like, the fashion world and stuff, but clearly not, because I didn't know, I don't know. I, I knew Tommy Hilfiger. I knew the name, and I knew his clothes, but I went in to the casting room, and there were these two old, older white men in the corner, and I was looking around, and I'm like, where's the casting? Where are the models? So I went up to these two men, and I'm like, Hi. Uh, I'm a model and I'm here for the casting and I don't know where to go. And this man just looked me up and down and just stared at me for a good 15 seconds. And then he said, it's in the other room. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. Walked in, walked out. I was with my like agent manager or whatever you want to call him. And we were in the elevator on the way back down. And he's like, do you know who that was? And I'm like, who? And he's like, that man that you talked to at the beginning when you didn't know where you were going. And I was like, no. And he's like, that was Tommy Hilfiger. That's wild. (laughs) And I had no clue. That's like... Yeah, super wild. Super wild. That's like auditioning for a movie and walking up to like Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg. Like in your world, that is is equivalent, right? Pretty pretty much. I mean, um, you know, for a lot of like, the really big designers, the designer is not the one casting the show. So I didn't really expect them to be there. And no, I didn't know what he looked like. I probably should have looked it up, but they have casting directors. And I really, I knew who the casting directors were more than I knew who the actual designers were, because those are the people that I was interacting with. And they'll have one casting director that casts like two or three different really big shows. So I would see those people. I knew who those people were, but I was like, well, Tommy's probably not actually going to be there, but no, he was. Did you get the gig? No. No, yeah, I knows? didn't. Not that one. Maybe Hilfiger was like, this, no. this crossed some lines and we've, punct- we've punctured, <laughs> yeah, we've punctured that just, barrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't worship him. I didn't even know who he was. He's like, I'm not putting this girl on my show. No, that's okay. Yeah. I have to say, that's it. Uh, yeah, so that was... 
There's so many layers. There's so yeah. many layers to your story. Yeah. It's wild. There are a lot of layers. There are. I know. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place, but it's like, how do I even start? How do I start the story? Yeah. I th- only, yeah. There's a lot of different things. I have to imagine, too, because a number of things jump out. So let's throw my questions out there. I feel like when you're 11 and you start modeling, and then when you're 16 yeah. and it's like, hey, you might have a chance to do this internationally. And you said you were with your mom when mm-hmm. all this started, so clearly you're in a family environment. I would have to imagine that your parents are going, well, there, there's pitfalls to this life and we're going to really watch out for them. And I would imagine that yeah. any parent whose kid gets into modeling is immediately going to go, we're going to watch out for body image stuff. We're going to watch out for eating stuff. And then yeah. you, you fell into it outside, you know, even yeah. under that umbrella of hearing that your parents were with you at the start. How does that happen? Yeah. Well, so, um, yeah, so my parents were divorced when I was really young. So I was mostly with my mom. Um, we saw my dad. Um, you know, like on weekends and stuff, but well, and, and not even on weekends, but well, my dad, <laughs> here's another layer to my story. Um, uh, my dad struggled with alcoholism since I was about six and that's when my parents divorced. So we saw him like, um, I mean, I, I loved him. He was a really, he was a really good, good person and he was a good dad, but he had an illness. Um, and so we saw him when we could and we would, I mean, my mom was always really awesome and she would take us to see him in his treatment centers and, you know, so we saw him when we could, but it was mostly my mom. My mom was the one that raised me, and um, she no, she was really supportive. But at the same time, she had and she was supportive, and she was um, a what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, she watched for things, and you know, but she had three kids, and um, and I was just so young, and I was always like so thin growing up, just naturally, like my metabolism was just so high. So she never really thought anything when. Then I was 16 and 17, and I was still, like, really thin and whatever, and she just didn't really... She's like, well, that's just how she is, because I, I was that way, but I don't know. Um, yeah, and then and then when I was... Well, so my dad died when I was um, 16, and that's kind of where my sister's depression all started and, and everything. Um, so there was just... And so my, my sister was struggling with depression. My brother has also struggled with depression. He's, he's doing better now, but... Um, there was just, there was so much going on, like so much going on that, I mean, I, I would, I had focus, but I wasn't her main focus of attention. And I, I don't know. I like understand why she, but I don't know. I mean, she did see things and I told her things and I was usually pretty open with her and then and she got me into therapy and got me help when I needed it. But Good. there was just so many things to pay attention to that. I wasn't like, you know, the only, I wasn't, me living in Paris wasn't the craziest thing that had happened. I I would imagine too that in a situation where there's a lot of pain and a lot of turmoil, you're having these things that feel like exciting and magical and maybe there's positivity for the whole family or or you and your mom at least to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I could see that side of it too. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, totally. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really cool. And it was, it was a lot of fun a lot of the time. Um, and it was fun for her. And I know it was really fun for my dad when he, I mean, so he, he died, um, later in 2014, you know, when I was like later in my 16th year, I guess. So he still, he was there to witness me like doing all of these cool things in fashion week and traveling internationally. And he was so into it and thought it was the coolest thing. So it was totally a, a source of like happiness and excitement and stuff. You've been through a lot for someone who's just turning 22 today. A lot. I know, isn't it? There's a lot. There is a lot. But some people have gone through even more. (laughs) But no, it is. Yeah. When, so, I'm, okay, so I don't feel bad saying, obviously, you've, you're someone who's mm. walked the runway during Fashion Week and has modeled in Milan and Paris. Mm. You're clearly, uh, we're on the phone, I can't see you, but clearly you are someone who is very beautiful um, by <laughs> society standards. When you're beautiful, do people assume you don't have problems or do they resent you? You know what I mean? Do um, you feel that? Yeah, I mean... Well, okay. Well, first of all, thanks. <laughs> I don't know. 
I I am tall and thin, sure. Um, I think I'm. I think I'm okay. Looking, if, listen, uh, but if you're, I mean, if you're. <laughs> If you're doing fashion, but I mean to, to <laughs> runway be shows. a model, you really honestly you don't have to be beautiful and gorgeous. You have to be tall and thin. It's right. really the main thing. It's, it's wild living in New York too, because during the fashion week, you know, and the time surrounding it, you walk around like Seventh Avenue, and you'll see models on the street, and some of them yeah. you're like, "Wow, you you're like a six foot four person who looks like you're from a different planet." It's not always like yeah. you are overwhelmingly the no, hottest person like, I've ever seen. It's yeah. like you are the most yeah. unique no. person everyone, I've ever not, seen. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Clearly, exactly. truth to but it. But I will say, I don't think I'm extremely unique looking. I think I'm pretty. I don't know. I'm pretty normal looking. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway. You don't have to um, be modest. You are a yeah. model. It's fine. <laughs> when you're in, I feel like people. Well, sometimes people don't want to hear the problems of people who they perceive in in that position. Pretty interesting question. I'd like to think answers are coming up soon. But in the meantime, check out our advertisers. I'm telling you, when you use the promo codes, it helps this show survive. So just consider it. It would mean a lot if you did. We'll be right back. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the ads, for helping to support the show, for everything you do to help out Beautiful Anonymous. Now let's finish off a pretty fascinating conversation. Sometimes people don't want to hear the problems of people who they perceive in, in that position. And I wonder if that felt lonely. Yeah, ever. no, for sure. Um, I mean, I will say, like, I think, well, I don't know. I, I really always tried to be very, like, open about things that, like, I dealt with and that my family dealt with. And um, that was something that I had a lot of respect to my mom for, too, is that, I think, I mean, I would never, you know, pass judgment, but when you see families that have struggled with mental illness or somebody that's taken their life um, and that kind of comes out, a lot of times it's like, oh, um, you know, our my brother died and that's kind of it. And that's like all you say. And then people are like, well, what happened? And oh, well, he died. And I've like, I've, I've seen that now that I have a sister that took her own life and I've you know, related with other people. And a lot of times that really is the story and I would never pass judgment on that. But I was very, very clear, like, and my mom was as well, like from the beginning when she did take her life, like, we're not going to sit here and say, okay, she passed away peacefully in her sleep, you know, or like whatever it was. Like, no, we're like, okay, she had a mental illness and she struggled with depression for years. And unfortunately, you know, she ended that in like a really devastating way, but we're not going to sit here and pretend that like it was some weird thing or, or just not say what it was or whatever. I just really want to be very open. And I remember in the obituary we put, you know, like if you need help, like reach out to, you know, the suicide hotline and like all this stuff, like you, I don't know. I just don't want there to be like shame around it. So I hope that people like don't look at me and think like, oh my God, she has some problems. Cause I try to be very open about like, yeah, I do have like struggles and my family has gone through things and sure I'm a model and like, that's really cool. And I'm really tall and skinny, but also like my life isn't perfect. And I try to be very, very um, transparent with that. But no, I think there probably still is, is bias, you know, growing up in school and people probably just assume that my family had a lot of money because I was modeling and whatever, but that's not, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but I think you know what I'm saying. No, it's an answer to my question. And it's, not an easy question. Yeah. I gotta say, I commend you and your family because uh, it's hard. That's hard. You know, there is a stigma mm-hmm. around it, and and I know I, I've I've mm-hmm. talked about this publicly that when I was feeling my worst, one of the things that I always used to sit there and it would fill me with these feelings of guilt and fear was like, you know, if I if I ever if I ever you know because I, I don't know how much you know about me or if you saw the show I did, but deals with a lot of that stuff and I have had those feelings in the past and I remember feeling like oh man it's gonna like if I ever do that it's gonna stick stick my family with this burden of of having to yeah having to explain that or not explain it yeah yeah so hearing that your family has said like yeah yeah and hearing that you guys said we're not gonna show shame in this 
we're going to be public about it to encourage other people to get help. That's, that's not easy still in 2019. That's not easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, so you just reminded me of something that I wanted to tell you, and this is completely off topic, but you just reminded me. So, okay, so I want to say I don't know, like, a ton about you. I've definitely listened to your show, but so I just wanted to tell you. So I've been listening to your show for about, I don't know, maybe three weeks or a month now. All right, all right, (laughs) welcome. the reason... So, thank you. So, I'm kind of a new fan, but this is still, oh my God, when he answered the phone, I freaked out. But so, I found your show because I I wanted to make this show, but I didn't know that it was a thing. So, I had this idea like a year or two ago, and I'm like, you know what would be a really cool podcast? Because I listen to a podcast, I mean, all the time. Um, like when I'm working out and I listen to them all the time on the subway and whatever. And a lot of the podcasts I listen to are like true crime and stuff. But I, um, I had this idea. I was like, somebody needs to make a show where you just call a stranger and you have a conversation with them and just see what they say and like, see what they, you know, what stories come out. And I had this like really cool idea and I was talking to my friends about it. And they're like, yeah, that would be really cool. And like completely dumb to the fact that that was already a thing. And then I was listening to, I don't remember what I was listening to. I was listening to something. And then one of the, like, ads or something was, they were talking about your show. Or maybe it wasn't even an ad. Maybe they were just talking about your show. I don't remember. And I'm like, whoa, that's my idea. But, like, Son of a bitch. I had the idea first. I had it later. <laughs> the guy who played Alana's boss on Broad City already got to that one. <laughs> you didn't know that. You didn't know I was on Broad City. That was my effort. I thought that was the one show no, that might didn't. fall into your demographic. The Office. I, I was know, on The I Office. City, A lot of I young mean, people like The Office. You. I was on The Office. Twenty-two. Oh, I know that you were on The Office. I know that. No, I know Kids that. Kids in I high know school. That. You were like, weren't you like Moses' cousin or something? I was Trevor, the guy who hit Oscar with the pipe. Sandwich delivery for yeah, Oscar you were, Martinez. You were, yeah. 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 No, I know that. Dwight you hired Moses, me. Or not Moses. You're Dwight. Dwight Dwight's friend. Yeah, Dwight had Moses and, and then you were. Yeah, okay, okay. I knew that you were connected to, to Dwight and Moses. I did know that, actually. I did. And I'm a huge fan of your work in that episode. I oh, do love you. the office. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes. I know the things You're that so have, I have a cousin who's a year younger than you. And I have actually, in a very pathetic way, asked her, like, what do I, what, what, what are the things that I can be doing to get young kids to like my stuff? And uh, I know that The Office goes a long way. That show has a long life. Anyway, anyway, oh, yeah. listen, Yeah, I live in Queens yeah. and uh, a lot of weekends, if they're doing construction on this one runway at LaGuardia, they route the planes over my house and it's really loud. Can you ask them to stop doing that? I can absolutely put in a word for you. I totally will. I don't know who I'm going to talk to, but I'm going to find that person. Thank you. Yes. When we, the weekend we moved in, it happened. It was going on where like every five (laughs) or six minutes, a plane would take off and go over a house and be like, and my wife was like. Yeah. And you also, you have like a really young child, don't you? We didn't then. This was four years ago. And, uh, Okay, okay. Okay. And my wife, I'll never forget the quote. She goes, don't even unpack the fucking boxes. I'm not living here. And I was like, we <laughs> bought this place. That's weird. weird. And then luckily we realized it wasn't every weekend. Um, okay. Well, at least it's not every weekend, but absolutely I'm going to yeah. write a letter to tell him. Yeah, just tell I'll the pilot. I'll write a letter to the CEO. I don't tell, know if he no, can. Just, yeah. Just okay. whisper okay. to the pilot sure. before the flight. Sure. Like, hey, let's just go like a couple degrees to the left or right so Gethard can sleep in. Okay, I'll do it next time. Now, can I say, my mm-hmm. my understanding of the flight attendant lifestyle is like, you hear stories that, like like you mm-hmm. said, like people don't always, like you hear stories that people will keep more like crash pads than houses, that there, and there'll be like five yeah. or six flight yeah. attendants all sharing a space. And yep. You're, yep. Ki- you're kind of like not rooted down anywhere and constantly... <laughs> You know, by nature, I know from traveling a lot. Yeah, you're kind a of, nomad. Yeah, yeah, you're a nomad. It's a little bit lonely. Yeah. Um, Is it? And coming in the wake of everything yeah. that's happened with your family, I wonder if are if those things are connected or if I'm reading too much into this. So, um, I mean, okay. So, yeah. So, totally that's true. 
I don't live in a crash pad. I do live in an apartment, but it is, I guess you could say, crash pad-ish. I mean, so we have an apartment. We're all in the least. There are six of us. There are six of us. And it's a three-bedroom in Brooklyn. Welcome to so Brooklyn. I live in a bunk bed. We each pay $4,000. It's great. We each pay $4,000 a month, but it's close to the G uh-huh, train, uh-huh. the most inconvenient train. It is. It's, it's so close to the G train. Yeah, I know it is. But yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So we, but the thing is, is like we're all flight attendants. There's, there are six of us, but there are crash, like actual crash pads, but there's like 30 girls living in like a, I don't know, maybe like a five or a six bedroom and they'll have like two or three or four bunk beds in one room. And I knew coming here, I was like, I don't want to do that. I will share my room with one person, but that just sounds kind of crazy. So I share my room with one person and everyone, we're, there's six of us, we're all flight attendants and we're not all here. We're, it's very rare that we're all here at the same time. Like right now, I think there's like three of us here. Um, so it's really like, it's not as bad as it sounds when you say that you live in an apartment with six girls and a three bedroom and there's bunk beds. That sounds probably like hell, but it's not, it's really fun. And we all get along really well. And honestly, like it's a really, really good time. I never went to college, so it's kind of like my college experience that I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a crash pad, first of all. Anyway, but not one of these things. Because you hear, you'll hear sometimes that people live in like a neighborhood in Queens where even I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that. And it's like, oh, yeah, but there's 28 yeah. flight attendants, and it's, but you can get to JFK yeah. in eight minutes. But do you think, do you, right. I, I don't know. I don't want to play armchair psychologist. Like, do you kind of just need to be nomadic yeah. right now just to kind of be on your own and have some headspace to Maybe. figure stuff out? Maybe. I don't know if it's really like a conscious thing that I, I don't, I mean, okay. So when I knew that I got this job, I still had like six to seven months before the training actually started. So I had six to seven months to keep living with my mom and I was just, I was nannying and, um, I just could not wait to like get out. Like I love my mom more than anything in the world, but I just couldn't wait to just have a change. And I knew I didn't want to live in Chicago at least for a while just I mean yeah I guess maybe it is just because of like there's just a lot that's happened there and I just needed like a total 180 um but I mean I didn't know going to training where I was going to be based I didn't know I was going to get New York and I'd have to live with this many people but I was just kind of really really happy that it was finally the time where I was going to start my career I guess and I I don't know I was just ready for like a fun adventure and Obviously, there's downfalls to this adventure, like living in a bunk bed. <laughs> but I was just—I don't know—I was so excited, and um, it's—it is like it's really—it's really fun. And I mean, living in a bunk bed is a great problem to have compared to other things that could be going on. So, I mean, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, Good. And, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a conscious thing, like that. I need this kind Fair. of like really independent lifestyle right now but i guess that makes sense uh, I, I don't want to put it on you i was just wondering although i have to say it better be fun if you're five yeah. foot ten sleeping in a bunk bed if you're five foot ten you get the top bunk <laughs> or the bottom bunk which what are we talking about? i i have the top bunk of course of course now I have the top bunk. now no. we have less than 10 minutes left i'm going to fly through some questions no pun intended as i said it okay, i realized okay. that was a cheap okay. joke is it true that the flight attendants and pilots will party pretty hard when you land in your destination and have to wait overnight to get back? Um, no, I've not experienced that. Really? I am dating a pilot right now, but dating we, a pilot. Right yes. Now. All right. Um, yes. And do you fly with the pilot ever? No, no. Okay. I've never flown with him. No, he doesn't fly. He, yeah, no. I mean, I could get into it, but no. Okay, fair. Now, when you're working, do you prefer working in coach because? Uh, are first class are the first class people better to deal with because they're having a cushy experience, so they're easier, or are they more entitled? You know, I would honestly, it's kind of fifty fifty. I've had awesome people in first class that are so nice, um, and I've had some stuck up people. I would say the majority of people that I deal with are are nice. Um, I don't know if there's really like one that I prefer over the other. I like to have a mixture. I like to work in first class sometimes, and I like to work in coach sometimes. I like to get 
a little bit of both. I will say I do actually, you know, I think first class is kind of easier because there's just so much, there's so many less people out there right. that you're dealing with. But on the cross, depending on what kind of service and the length of the flight. Well, that's true, yeah. right? Like a cr- first class flight to Cleveland, it's just less people. But those cross country ones, you got to give everybody an ice cream sundae. Yeah, you do. But you have so much time that, I mean, the flight, like if it's a flight where you're doing that intensive service, it's because it's a really, really long flight. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, I'd rather have something to fill my time. So it's not, I don't know. It's a really, it's a really easy job. I mean, the hardest part is dealing with people. But I would say, like, most of the time it's good and people are usually pretty nice. Do they give you training? At least in my experience. Good. Great answer. You are a truly nice person. That's become clear on the call. Do they give you training on how to deal with it when people try to enter the Mile High Club? No. (laughs) Really? Have you ever run into that? No, they don't. No, I have not. I have a friend that told me that she saw two people walk out of the bathroom. I don't even think, I don't know that she said anything, but that's just so gross. That, do you know how dirty those lavatories, like, oh yes. my God. Yes, that's I fly so a lot. I see people walk barefoot into the bathroom. Barefoot, not even what socks. Are th- what are you thinking? No. I've no. done socks but, and I know, feel I gross. socks would be worse. Really? No, socks is worse. Because it sponges it up? Because then if there's like, yeah, if there's anything on the ground, uh, what what are you? No, just no. I, I we had this one lady one time who she actually she was she went she was barefoot. I don't think she was in socks. I think she was barefoot. She went into the lab, and she came out and she you know kind of was like, hey hey, and we're like, yeah, do you need something? She's like, I just want to tell you that the floor in the lab is it's wet. Ooh, and I was like, well, if you were wearing you. shoes, you wouldn't know that. But you have to keep a straight face. You're like, well, we're so sorry, man. We'll get right on that. I'm not going in there. No way. I'm not. That's you have not to be my like, job. You have to be I'm like, oh, thank you for that. informing us. And I'm so sorry we had that experience. And in your head, you're like, how the fuck would you enter a bathroom? I wouldn't, I would, I don't like peeing without footwear at home sometimes. Okay. How do you deal right, with, yeah. now I have a kid, he's coming up on eight months old. He's flown mm-hmm. once when he was younger, he fell right asleep, but he's going to get to an age where mm-hmm. he doesn't want to just sit there and go, when you see kids, when you see someone like me roll up with a car seat, are you like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. Some people um, are. Maybe some people are. Um, no, but see, okay. Like, again, I haven't been flying that long. I've only been flying month, eight months. And I have, I've yet to be on a plane with, like, a baby that won't stop screaming the whole flight. So I don't really have a problem with them yet. I think they're kind of cute. I'll give I'll give them some little, we have those little plastic wings, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and sometimes if I like if I'm working in first class and we have extra cookies, I'll bring the cookies back to the to the kids and coach because it's really cute and they get really excited. I've had really good experiences with kids. I think the worst passengers that I've had on my planes are um, fifty to sixty year old white men. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Makes sense because you're probably business guys who think they yeah. the world owes them something. Yep, 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 yep. And maybe they were flying in. I don't know, the 60s or whenever it was that flight attendants had a different reputation, I guess. Oh, uh, really? They'll, they'll hit on you? Not really, like, hit on me, but I had this I had this guy one time who, actually, he was sitting in coach, but I think he had some status, and he probably booked his ticket really last minute, so he had to sit in coach or something. And he came back, and he started asking me questions about the uniform, and I was like, well, this is kind of strange, but I don't know, maybe he, I don't know, I was kind of naive about it, and I looked at it with this, like, innocent outlook and I'm like okay well I guess he's just curious about the uniforms so I'm like oh yeah you know like there's different uniforms because he had said oh you're wearing something different than the other girl and I was like yeah well we don't have just like one uniform we have a collection and you can wear the dress so you can wear the skirt with the shirt and the and the sweater or like you know so I was kind of just explaining it to him and then he goes well I don't think you guys have to wear uniforms at all and I was like oh what what should we wear just like jeans like just really casual and he goes, no, you should just wear nothing. Ooh. Or, you you know, maybe you could wear lingerie. <laughs> I was like, this is not where I thought that conversation was going. Ooh. I had like a, I just thought it was like completely normal until that for that. And I was like, okay, you can go back to your seat now. Thanks. Well, he got up and said that to you? Yeah, he came to the back 
to like the galley in the back and and i was like do you need something and he was like no i'm just kind of stretching and i'm like okay that's fine because you can stretch you know it's like if you want to get up and move your legs that's fine if you want to have a conversation with me i'll have a conversation with you as long as it's a normal one no Not such that luck kind. and then you got to go and he's like i'll have a i'll have a ginger ale <laughs> you gotta deal i know with and then guy. i have to give it to him i hate that it's not the worst Ugh. i hate that so much Ooh. yeah yeah, I know. I know. It's really bad. I, I, I've yet to be touched by anyone. Like, you know, I've heard stories of you walking the aisles and someone like slapped your butt or something. Hands, and I hands have you. already, yeah. And that's never happened to me. Thank God. But if it ever does, I've already told myself, I'm like, if that happens, that person is getting absolutely nothing. They do not, they don't even get pretzels. I'm no. And I'm telling all the other flight don't give them anything. Can you flag people like that? that? We are punishment to anyone. Are you like allowed to yeah, let the airline yeah. know, hey, this person is a sexual harasser, and we maybe shouldn't have them? Oh, no. Well, I mean, yeah, I would, I would report it for sure. I don't know that they'd be flagged as like they can never fly again. I don't really know what the aftermath of that. I think they would be, should, but I can at least tell my crew on that flight. I think a one strike you're out rule. You no, walk okay. up to one of the flight attendants, say, hey, I wish you were walking <laughs> around in laundry. I agree. Cool. Well, you're never flying again. You got to go to Spirit Airlines now, buddy. Yeah, no, I You got to go to Spirit Airlines. where They don't even give you a seat. Yep. Yep. Spirit for the rest of your life. <laughs> no recliners. No, you cannot recline ever again. <laughs> Spirit should be used as the prison of airlines. The timeout box of airlines. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you, uh, I know. You want to, you think you're going to fly American? Nope. You get two years on Spirit Airlines, you handsy motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, Sally. I've been trying to curse this. Yep. Now, no, I agree. when someone, agree. minute and a half left, when someone gets on the flight and they're already drunk, what's the protocol here? Because um, I well, see it all the time. And then they so, sit down and they're like, can I have a mimosa yeah. and the Jack and Ginger? If they're and visibly drunk, yeah. Right. Go I know. It. If they're visibly drunk, the gate agent should not let them on the plane. Mm hmm. That's really up to the gate agent. They're the first barrier, and they if they see someone that they know for sure is intoxicated, they should not let, they're not supposed to let them on the plane. But if somehow they sneak by and they get on the plane, we're just, I mean, we have to be on that plane with them. If the door's shut and we're, well, I mean, I guess for certain circumstances, we will go back to the gate. But most of the time, we won't even find out until we're in the air, and then it's just kind of like, okay, don't serve them. Give them some water. Give them a puke bag. I mean, you know, we just have to deal with them until we're back on the ground. Okay. We've got 30 seconds left. Yeah. I just want to say thank you. Oh, that went by so quick. It did. And I got to say, I would have listened to a whole hour about being a flight attendant. I could have listened to a whole hour about what it's like <laughs> being a model. I could hear, spend a whole hour hearing I know, about... I know, was a lot. Yeah, losing two members of your family at such a young age. And uh, to hear that... I know. I honestly do wish I would have planned it out a little bit better. Oh. But like I said, I've only I've only had like three weeks to think of this, and I've already you've already answered. That's insane. Yeah, no, it's okay. You did great. It was a <laughs> hell of a call, and I just want to say. Thanks. Well, I just want to say too. I mean, our time's up, but you've been th at one okay. point in this call. You said losing your sister is the hardest thing you've dealt with thus far in your life, and I will say, um, I hope that you don't have to deal with many things harder than that for the rest of your life. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. I had a blast. Well, it was a really fun hour. Thank you for being so open and honest. And I wish that I had more time to ask you what I can do to get goodwill so I get more perks and upgrades. But I missed my shot. <laughs> Caller, thank you. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for dealing with so much and being able to explain it. Thanks for pushing through the stigma surrounding suicide. That was beautiful and hopeful and uplifting to hear from someone who has spoken honestly about it as well. And, and I, I, I wish, you know, I don't want to dwell on the dark stuff, but I could have talked about that more because it really sounds like you and your family handled that in a strong and resilient and beautiful way. And thanks for telling us about everything, about modeling, about flight attending, about all of it. Sorry some jerks get handsy with a flight attendants just trying to do their jobs. Thank you to Jared O'Connell in the booth. Thank you to Shell Shag for all the music. If you want to know about me, I got a lot of shows coming up. ChrisGeth.com, so you can find info on them. Hey, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. It helps. We'll see you next time.
Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, we talk to someone who we talked to three and a half years ago, but never actually one that you've heard, and they tell us all sorts of stuff about dad stuff and masculinity and gender, and it goes everywhere. It goes everywhere. We spoke very briefly, and I dropped my phone, and it shattered. And so I could hear you Ah. trying to regain the call, but my microphone wasn't working, and it was... I just, I lived a nightmare for a few minutes and that trying was... <laughs> to get back in touch with you. And then random, I never expected to call the show again because it's, it's, timing never worked out. And then, yeah, kismet. I actually have today off, so I had nothing going on. Amazing. And we should be clear to anyone listening, this was over three and a half years ago. We looked it up. It's over yeah. three years ago. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. <laughs> 